Welcome to the We Go Places podcast, where we catch up with WeGo grads who share their story of the journey to their unique careers. I'm your host, Brian Turnbaugh, English teacher at WeGo since 2001, and you just heard new intro music from Andy Georgiev, class of 2022. Today, we talk to Michael Russo, class of 2010, resident physician at Advocate Illinois Masonic Medical Center. Michael will share with us how volunteering with his father at medical clinics set the path for him to become a primary care physician. Joining us today is Michael Russo from the class of 2010. Mike, what do you do? So I'm a uh, resident physician right now. I'm in my uh, second year of residency. I, um, and I'm uh, specializing in what's called family medicine or a uh, kind of like a general practitioner is what I am. Michael, when when did your journey to to become a doctor, when did this begin? So it kind of began, I mean, I always say like it began really young for me. Uh, my, my dad was in healthcare. Uh, he's, um, he's an eye doc uh, by his trade. Um, so I was always influenced by that. He would like see people for free in our home and stuff when I was really young. And um, I think that that kind of instilled that in me um, at a young age. Um, just caring for people in that, in that, um, kind of pedigree. And, um, when I kind of got into high school, like I was always more of like a math and science guy rather than a, a humanities and, and art. Um, and then, uh, that kind of continued on to my college years that I, I just really wanted to do a field where I felt that I was, um, kind of like satisfying my, my academic interests and like always learning. I was, I was always a big nerd in high school and everything. Um, and then um, I just felt like pursuing medicine uh, was like a good way of satisfying my my desire to um, to learn and, and to also um, satisfy my desire to just uh, serve other people. Uh, where did you end up uh, starting your undergrad? So I did my undergrad at uh, Loyola University of Chicago, uh, which you may have heard about for the uh, the NCAA tournament. Um, <laughs> So uh, yeah, it's a really good school for um, for healthcare. Um, they they really um, uh, a lot of like the professors there are really interested in like helping uh, pre med students to get in. So that's why I was interested in going there, um, and amongst many other reasons uh, for like it's a, a very beautiful campus. If you ever get a chance to go there, it's right on the lake. So yeah, that's that's great. What were some of your favorite classes that kind of in many ways kind of entrenched your decision like yeah this is what i i i I was meant to do yeah it was um i remember in in high school i took uh anatomy course uh with uh, dr murphy uh we like dissected um you know frogs cats and things like that and i just really loved learning about the body it just kind of like clicked with me um so that was one class in in high school And, and in college um I didn't really take any classes specific to uh, medicine. They, they make you take a whole bunch of like just general science courses to just assess your ability to process a whole bunch of knowledge in a short amount of time. 
Um, but I, I think it was just kind of like my basic biology courses. And, and I also took a lot of courses in bioethics, like uh, courses in like end of life matters, like with regards to healthcare. And I think all those kinds of conversations uh, that I had in those classes really stimulated my desire to uh, keep pursuing this. Did you have to do like internships while you were in college? Yeah, so I um, I did an internship, but it was more specific to my major. Um, so I, I was always planning for, for backup plans. So I majored in uh, hospital administration, um, essentially. So I did an internship uh, with a um, elderly care um, company called Mather Lifeways, um, where I kind of did some research with like um, on ways to treat Alzheimer's. Um, and, and that kind of helped uh, build my, um, my resume for, um, uh, for applying to medical school. And uh, Loyola, they have lots of opportunities uh, when I was there for like research, um, like in biologies and things like that. Um, for myself, with my connections to my dad, uh, because he worked through Loyola as well, too. Um, I, I actually did research for one summer with uh, one of his colleagues um, where we did, um, uh, we tested a a particular synthetic um, anesthetic, anesthetic, oh gosh, um, on uh, rats to see if um, they could, um, it would um, desensitize them for like procedures and things like that, like as another analgesic essentially. Yeah. You graduate from Loyola and then how soon does the process begin to select uh, where you go for med school? So um, it actually, so it, there's different ways to, to do it. Um, the uh, traditional route is that you start applying uh, for medical school kind of uh, around your junior year. Um, so you, you take all the pre-core classes in your first two years of like biology, organic chemistry, and chemistry. Um, and then in your junior year, you take what's called the MCAT testing, uh, which is just kind of like, it's kind of like the ACT, but for medical school, essentially. Um, and, and then uh, at the same time, you're, you're submitting your resumes to medical schools. And then, um, and then uh, once you graduate, then you can just enter into uh, medical school. Um, the for my path, though, I actually didn't do that. Um, I um, I took the MCAT my senior year uh, of college uh, because I was planning to take a year off in between. Uh, I just felt that I I wanted to take a little breath before I kind of went into the. Um, all of the uh, responsibilities and the, the rigorousness of the uh, the medical school curriculum. Uh, so I worked a whole bunch of like odd jobs uh, during my year off. Um, and then I applied during that year. And then that's when I uh, entered into medical school. Um, so there are different ways of uh, going about doing is my, uh, basically my point. Uh, some people will go right through with college, uh, applying their junior year and onward. Um, but then there's many people like many of my colleagues who I went to medical school with, they um, they took several years off in between, um, in between college and when, and the time that they started medical school. And, uh, during those times they did things like research, worked in like uh, different healthcare, uh, facets, like some of them were nurses, um, healthcare or patient care techs. Uh, a lot of them did research and things like that as well too. And some people had very different careers where they were in like finance business and then they just had a calling to medicine later on. Um, so yeah, there's. There's no one way to do it. How much do you value that you were able to take that year off and be able to then kind of, again, take that breath? Um, that was that you feel that that was probably the most like looking back, that was the most appropriate thing. 
Yeah, it, it was, it was a great thing for me. Um, like just with my personality, like I, I, I need to, I, oftentimes I, I will get, um, I'm very passionate about things and, and will overwork myself sometimes. So uh, to take that breath, uh, to be with family, um, like I spent a lot of time uh, with my grandparents, uh, they were teaching me Spanish. Um, and like, I went on a service trip to Guatemala during that year. And it was just a great year for me to just, you know, just ponder my life, uh, make sure that I was doing what I, I, I was making sure that I was doing what I wanted to do and just taking that time to reflect. Um, because there, there are some people that will, will rush things, um, and we'll just try to push through things without thinking through them. And, and, um, they end up regretting things, um, and, and overworking themselves. And I didn't want that to be myself. And, um, so I, I really am grateful that I did take that year off and, and kind of work different, uh, jobs, got different experiences that year. And, and then I was ready to go and, and I hit the ground running, uh, when I, when I was uh, starting my medical school training. I was wondering if you could uh, describe what was your your mission trip like when you went to Guatemala. It was it was really cool. So it was actually my um, my third trip to Guatemala, and um, I also went on a trip to Nicaragua. So the uh, typically the groups that I go with uh, they're week long trips. Uh, we have a clinic set up for about four days. Um, most of the times that I went, my dad went with me too, so he set up kind of like his own eye clinic. Um, and then the other clinics were just kind of like a general, uh, practice. And we just took anybody and everybody, uh, who came in from the community. It was, um, partnered with a, a parish, um, in a rural community, uh, called, uh, Rio Dulce. Um, and so we just saw as many people as we could. Uh, we had medications that we had brought with us to give people, um, sometimes temporary supplies of medications, uh, just counseling on their care. Um, and if they, we felt that they needed a higher level of care, we would recommend that to them. So we, we tried to do what we could with, with what we had. That must have been incredibly powerful and special to work with your father uh, and for such an important trip like that. How special was that? Wow. When so you you begin medical medical school, um, what were some how how does that change in terms of the rigor uh, from what you did as an undergrad and then heading into um, uh, med school? Yeah, so one of the uh, when I uh, when I started medical school, one of the best analogies I heard of how we process the information it's like um, kind of like uh, undergrad is kind of like drinking out of a, a water fountain, and in, in medical school is like it's like drinking out of a fire hose. <laughs> so, uh, you, you, uh, you get blasted with inter- information, uh, from day one and it, it's a big change, uh, the, the ways that you study in undergrad are, are vastly different, uh, from how you study, um, in medical school. And, and part of like your, especially your first couple months in medical school is just learning how you process information. Uh, typically a lot of the subject matters that uh, you learn are just basic science information still. Uh, before you transition into more of the clinically applicable information. Um, and so just learning how you can study, how you can rapidly process information and synthesize that um, and, and having those skills developed into your second and then into your third and fourth years is uh, kind of how the process goes for it. And, and it it has a big change. Uh, it was a big adjustment for, uh, for myself and uh, a lot of people will struggle with it, but um once you get into medical school, I think it's about like a 95 or, or 99% uh, of people that get in the door will uh, uh, finish uh, their degree. 
I, I, you know, it, it's, I'm really happy that you covered uh, this kind of idea because that was actually a question I had uh, written down. And I was wondering if you could maybe uh, describe maybe a little bit more of like, what would a study habit look like? So you're, you you talk about the fire hose and the information. So what would a typical like night of study be? And then how do you then kind of chew it down and digest it in such a way uh, so you can keep it on that kind of ready reserve of turning it into knowledge and, and, and being able to access that for when you do apply it. Yeah. So I, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, I kind of think of it as a, a person who uh, layers bricks. Um, so you, you kind of, you put a layer of bricks down, you, you put like the cement, I believe in between that, and you just kind of keep layering things and then you have a wall by the end of it. Um, so the way that I would go about studying is that, um, I would have notes from my lectures, uh, that I would be reading and, uh, every night I would, I would plan to like go through that lecture plan or that lecture packet uh, of notes that I took and, and just, you know, I would sit there, kind of quiz myself, test myself, uh, make sure that I, I kind of had like a brief understanding of it. And I just kind of like go through it quickly, um, like over the course of like maybe an hour, let's say, and then for the next hour, I'd move on to another subject matter just because like I, I would get bored learning about the same subject matter, um, like reviewing it over and over again for a few hours. Um, and I would keep doing that overnight. So I'd review about three or four topics uh, prior to an examination uh, every night. And I would be studying, um, you know, for, I don't know, probably five or six hours uh, when I got home from lectures and I'd be in lecture for about eight hours during the day. Um, so pretty much most of my day was spent studying and, and eating. Um, <laughs> and then, um, and then, uh, basically what, what I would do is, is that, uh, either two days or three days later, I, I would review the same lecture packet that I had just learned. Um, and I would re retest myself, you know, I would look at a, a, a particular, uh, line of my notes and, and then I would test myself like, okay, this would be a question or this would be a patient that would present to me. And these would be the things I would need to ask myself and what would be the answer to that. And really by testing yourself by that, by getting things wrong, it, it really helps to solidify, uh, things in, in your knowledge banks. Um, because it, for myself, like it, it sparks like kind of like a stress response where I, I just really feel like I need to know that. And, and then it really sticks in there. And every time that I keep reviewing things, I probably like review things every couple of days. Um, I probably do that three or four times for a particular subject matter. Um, and then that really helped to solidify things uh, for me. And especially in my, my first two years where you have to learn a lot of like the basic foundational uh, components of medicine. Wow, that was, that was a, I love that answer. That was incredible. Mike, so you you have so you have a lot of lecture and then studying from that. When do you actually in med school? When do you start making the transition to start working with patients and and have more of that hands on experience? Yeah, so it it was uh, during my uh, third and uh, fourth years uh, that you start to get more clinical experience. Uh, my my medical institution had us. Um, uh, during our first and second years, we would go in like maybe once a semester to um, like an emergency department or a uh, primary care clinic uh, to just interview a patient. Uh, it was a very brief experience. Um, but then during your third and fourth years, you're, you're not in the classroom anymore. You're, you're in the hospital, you're, you're seeing patients, you're rounding with uh, supervising resident doctors uh, and attending doctors, um, and you're presenting patients to them. They're, they're 
uh, asking you questions and, and uh, teaching you like kind of like the tricks of the trade because there's a there's a vast gap between the first two years of medical school training and the third and fourth years where you learn how to take care of people and apply your knowledge um, to that. So that's when you uh, get more clinical experience. When do you start narrowing your um, interests? So, I mean, it's because some people become neck doctors and brain surgeons or emergency room and, and all that. How, like, how you're exposed to several different uh, forms of medicine. How did you select your particular field and what, what was the eureka moment for that? You're like, this is where I need to be. Yeah, it was, I, I kind of knew going into medical school that that's what I wanted to do um, was, was primary care. Um, for, for most people, they, they figure it out during their third year uh, because during your clinical rotations that year, you, you essentially rotate through uh, every specialty. Um, and some people are influenced prior based off of like family members or, or friends who are in the field um, that influence them to go into it, like a, especially like super subspecialties, like, 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 like you said, like neurosurgery and, and things like that. Um, but, but for myself, I, I was always very passionate uh, about one teaching. Um, and uh, the other component was I, I just was so interested in everything. So we, we learn about every organ system in medical school. And I, I was just fascinated by, by everything. Like I love learning about like the, how the kidneys work, how the brain works uh, from what we know. Um, and I, I just, when I thought about myself being like a specialist, like a cardiologist or like a pulmonologist, I just, I couldn't imagine myself um, seeing the uh, same organ system every day and dealing with the same problems. I, I like to jump from like one problem to the next and being kind of like a jack of all trades. Um, and I, I just felt that being the coolest doctor possible would, would mean me being in like a primary care field, like, uh, like in pediatrics or, uh, what I do general medicine, those types of fields. So, um, and I, I just felt that I really wanted to be in a clinic and when you're in family medicine, you do a lot of outpatient uh, clinical work and you really get to develop relationships with uh, the people that you take care of and you get to know their lives at a very core level. And so family medicine uh, for me uh, was just everything that I wanted to do and, and um, have been doing uh, for the past couple of years now that I've been a resident. I think that's such a an interesting kind of next phase of your journey as, as a doctor is that you, you have so much understanding of how the body works, but then it's that kind of relational bedside manner in, in learning how to uh, be the communicator to your patients. I was wondering what that learning curve is like. I mean, is, is that like the next frontier in your, um, in your, um, in, in your residency? Is, is, that, is that the next thing that you sharpen most is your ability to kind of really be able in, in communicating with your, uh, your patients and family? Yeah, it, absolutely. It, it is. Um, we, we joke when we're uh, in our first two years of medical school, because we're spending so much time studying that we, we forget how to be people and, and talk to people. Um, and so like your third and fourth years, you're, you're kind of starting to develop those skills of how you, you talk to people and, and relay information in a way that they can comprehend it. Um, and, and as a resident, um, you, you just continue to hone those skills. It's a very difficult 
um, characteristic that um, many doctors, uh, including myself, we we uh, we deal with every day and how we we practice and hone those skills um, because it. it you, you can know everything in, in the world and you can lay things out in the most scientific manner pa- possible. Um, but if the person you're taking care of doesn't feel that you take, that you care genuinely about them, or if they feel that you, they don't have a trusting relationship with you, it, it just, it doesn't matter what you know and what you recommend for them. They're not going to do what may be life-saving for them. Um, and so being able to communicate with them, um, and develop those trusting relationships and get down at their level to, you know, understand um, all the, what we call the biopsychosocial model of, of people, understanding how, um, how they grew up, the communities that they live in, the, the resources that they, they have available to them because of they may be living in poverty or if they're very wealthy and, and how all those things influence their decision-making. And appreciating that uh, really helps you to be a, the best doctor possible. And it, it can be very hard. Like I, I have um, I have a patient who um, for years he wouldn't treat a thyroid condition um, because he just didn't trust what the doctors were saying. And, and I finally convinced him to start taking the medication and, and he's doing better now. But um, it, it just goes to show that um, being able to talk to people goes so far when, when you're in medicine. I was wondering too, you know, in in some ways doctors are also detectives. So you, a patient will come in and you have to go through several questions and heuristics to be able to really understand and get information and then make advice based upon this information. What was like your first mystery that you were able to kind of uh, solve uh, with a patient where you kind of had to go through like little bits of information then ultimately resolve it? What was your favorite first kind of success story with that? Oh, yeah. I, I, I love how you described that. Cause yeah, I love being a detective. Like I think of myself like Sherlock Holmes sometimes. <laughs> um, yeah, I've had a, a few. I'm trying to think of a, a good one. Sorry. Um, there was a patient that I had um, when, uh, oh, he was a recent patient that I was taking care of. He he had been taking being taken care of like by another doctor and uh, he was coming to see me to establish care. And he told me he was told all of these things and that he had some type of thyroid condition, but he wasn't sure what it was exactly. And I, I checked a few labs on him to figure out like what could have been going on with this thyroid because he didn't know the exact reason for it. And one of his labs showed that his calcium levels were high and um, he was like having a lot of like falls and was like having his bones were like very weak and he was like fracturing a lot of bones and things like that. And um, I, I, ended up like determining I, and then I found the old records of this other doctor's office and I found out what they were doing for their workup and found out that the thyroid condition that he thought he had was actually what's another gland in the body that was being affected called the parathyroid. Um, and then I did the, finished the workup for it and, and figured out that he had a, a small, uh, what we, a small tumor of his parathyroid gland that was causing his calcium levels to go up and his bones to be weaker. So that was kind of cool. Ah, that's so, that's so, that's so great. I, I, just, I love, I just love hearing the, the whole decision 
tree, you know, that happens. I remember um, my, my wife had a, an infection on her foot once uh, and just a, and I remember being in the doctor's office, listening to the doctor kind of go through a whole decision tree before he was able to kind of figure out what was going on. I just I love that whole process. Um, so I was wondering if you could describe, so you are in residency right now and how many years is residency and then when, and then where do you move on from that once you finish your residency? So residency, uh, it varies on the specialty. Um, so for myself, my residency will last three years. Um, and, and then I can do additional training, which is called a fellowship, um, for like another year. Um, so total of four years of technically residency training. Uh, most of like your general medicine residencies will last about three years. Uh, but then you have uh, some specialties like um, like the longest one I can think of is neurosurgery, where you're a resident for like seven or eight years um, at wow. medical school. So uh, the, the, and there's, it will vary depending on the, the field that you want to go into. So like an orthopedic surgeon, I think is about five years. Uh, same thing for like general surgery. Um, so yeah, it will vary depending on that, uh, for, for myself, uh, after uh, residency, I, I haven't decided exactly where, where I want to be. Um, I get trained, um, with a little bit of hospital medicine. Um, and then largely my training is in, um, uh, in, in an outpatient clinic and I, I treat, uh, we, we call it, we say we, we treat from cradle to the grave in my, my specialty. So I, I see anywhere from newborns to, um, I've taken care of like 92 year olds and hundred year olds. Um, so I, I see everything. And, um, uh, for myself, I'll, I'll probably be in a clinic, um, around Chicago, um, probably in the city for a couple of years and, and then, uh, move out to the suburbs. Um, and I really haven't decided exactly where I want to be. I have to apply for jobs uh, next year. Um, and I may even do like a fellowship where I do a little bit more training in how to train future residents and medical students. Um, but I, I haven't quite decided if that's the route I want to go just yet. You know, you mentioned something earlier about um, like that you, there are certain parts of the body that you get to study more intimately than probably anyone else. Is there a particular like um, system or organ or, or that you just, that still fascinates you because you can't believe how efficient it is or just kind of captures a type of enchantment for you? Yeah. So the, um, I, I'd say that there's two for that. Uh, the kidneys always fascinate me with just how they, um, how they filter our blood and, and how they control your blood pressure and, and all these things. Um, but the, the real organ, so from an efficiency standpoint, so the kidneys are, are probably the, the coolest in my opinion. Um, but really the, the brain is probably the most fascinating organ of our body. Um, uh, one thing that I, I take particular interest in, in in my own practice is mental health uh, counseling um, and, and treating uh, anxiety and depression, especially and just seeing how um, stress, anxiety, um, responses to, to past traumas will influence a person uh, from like the decisions that they make in life. Uh, some of like the, the symptoms that they'll have in their body, it's just fascinating to me. Um, and, and I just love taking care of those people and, and spending the extra time with them to, to help get to know them and, and help them through what they're, what they're going through. Mike, I was also wondering too, like, you know, 
one thing that uh, one of my favorite expressions of all time when dealing with really anything is the an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And I was wondering, you know, in your professional opinion, what's probably one of the most um, underutilized behavior sets that we can do to be healthier uh, that you have seen that would then take away, you know, that kind of pound of cure element? What's the most kind of preventative best behavior that we can do? Yeah, it, um, that's, yeah, that's basically what, what I do is, uh, try to prevent people from getting to the hospital and seeing specialists. So, um, the, the biggest thing, like one of the biggest problems in, in America is, uh, obesity. And I think oftentimes we, we think that we need to exercise heavily and that deters a lot of people um, from trying to keep their weight on the lower side and, and bringing their blood pressure down and uh, helping with their cholesterol, reducing their risk for diabetes. Um, but what oftentimes goes, gets overlooked is it's really your diet that, that influences um, your, your weight, your blood pressure, your risk for diabetes and, and all these things. And uh, it really affects your mood, uh, your ability to think through things. So having a healthy diet, um, especially for myself, uh, my mom would cook me meals all the time when I was in medical school training. I think that helped me to process things. Um, but uh, just like what I, what I tell folks is start off every meal with a vegetable um, and, and try to get about half of your meal with vegetables. Um, uh, that oftentimes gets overlooked, the amount of that we're lacking in our diet for that. Um, and that can really prevent a, a lot of um, medical conditions later on for like cardiovascular disease, um, diabetes, high cholesterol, and all these things uh, can be prevented by just uh, modifying that. Mike, you've been so generous with your time today, and I've, I've learned uh, so much. I, I got to say, your, your answer for study habits has to be one of my favorites of all times. It was just so great. I love learning about how we think and how to be more optimal uh, thinkers in that regard. That was just one of my favorite answers of all time. Uh, but I was wondering if you have any other um, tips for success for uh, current Wildcats. Um, yeah, um, just from when I was growing up in West Chicago, like I, I always, and even after West Chicago, like I always just take pride in, in where I came from. Like when, when people, like I meet a lot of people and they, they ask me where I'm from and I, I always say I'm from West Chicago. Um, I really loved where I grew up, the people that I got to meet. And as you saw, like a lot of people are on these podcasts too. Um, and just the great lives that I, I got to, to meet with people when I went during my time there and, uh, just things that I, I would tell, um, Wildcats is, you know, uh, just, um, be passionate about, about what you, you want to do. Like, think about what you're most passionate about. There's no one way. Uh, to go through life. Um, there's no one career or anything. And um, it, it doesn't matter uh, how much you perceive yourself, um, like how smart you may perceive yourself as uh, or athletic or any of these things. Um, one, one of my other colleagues, he's um, he's uh, also graduated in 2010. He's a GI doc uh, now. And he would always tell me when we were training, he's like, Mikey, um, I, I don't think we're really that smart. Uh, it's really, we're just passionate and we're just more determined uh, than anybody else to find the answers that we're looking for. Um, and that's the, the passion that I, I take with in my practice when I'm taking care of folks. Um, and that's the passion that you, you need to have uh, when you're, you're uh, finding your career, because that's how you appreciate your life um, and, and just enjoy what you're doing every day. Um, and, and so that's what I would just recommend is um, just think about what you would, it is you want to do and, and always be interested in 
uh, if you feel like you're not as interested, then then find something else to to look into to do with um, your your training and your life. Uh, I don't think I could have found a a better answer for what intrinsic motivation is. That was that was perfect, Michael. Thank you so much for this interview today. I learned a bunch. Yeah, thank you so much for inviting me. It was my pleasure, and and uh, uh, thank you. Thanks for listening. You can follow We Go Places on iTunes and Google Podcasts. Just search We Go Vox. That's WeGo, V-O-X, or search on Facebook for WeGo Places Podcast.